From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. The city of Chicago continues to struggle with the influx of asylum seekers. The governor of Texas needs to take a look in the mirror of the chaos that he is causing for this country. They are cold, so we will keep them warm. They are hungry, so we will feed them. They need our help, so we must do what we can. A ban on the sale of assault weapons in Illinois remains in effect for now. In a highly anticipated decision, the state Supreme Court upheld the ban, which had been challenged as unconstitutional. The Illinois State Rifle Association tells me the fight is not over. The law was terribly written, poorly thought out, and then you have the Second Amendment violation, and who knows what else is in there. Today is the day that we stop criminalizing poverty. Beginning today, people arrested for crimes across the state will no longer have to pay cash to be released from jail while they await trial. We mark in Illinois where people will be able to keep their jobs, stay in their homes, maintain custody of their children while they await their trial. And just some of the sounds of what was a tumultuous year in which Illinois also repeatedly made national headlines. We're going to talk about some of those stories and more coming up on our year in review, our final state week of 2023. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus, and former director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. Our guest this week, welcome back to the show, Amanda Vinicky, reporter for WTTW's Chicago Tonight. Amanda, it's always good to have you with us. Thanks so much, Sean, and happy holidays. Well, we could start with many issues, but I think the one that has so far stood out has been the continued arrival of migrants into the city of Chicago. Both the city and the state are spending money, probably will need to spend more to help these individuals. They're being bused to Chicago and recently even flown in from Texas. Amanda, Illinois officials have gotten more people out of police stations and O'Hare airports where they were housed, but it seems like there's still a long way to go to get this under control. And I don't expect, as you noted, Sean, that it's going to stop in part because this is very much a political issue. The governor of Texas intentionally sending migrants to cities and states that are run by Democrats and Illinois and Chicago are front and center of that because the city will be hosting the Democratic National Convention. So the more that this is pushed to something that puts a strain on Chicago that looks bad for Illinois, the better it is for Republicans. And oh, wait, we're in an election year. Um, these are individuals who are seeking asylum and therefore legally in the United States. Um, I, I think that this goes to Congress and Washington having put off the issue of immigration for so long. Clearly, it's an issue that needs to be dealt with. And uh, Illinois and Chicago are really experiencing the brunt of it. When you speak with um, folks in it, it has been a while, granted, since I have done so, but I did um, periodically check in with you know Governor Abbott's office and folks in Texas who say, hey, this is what we're dealing with every day, all the time. Um, and so if you're going to preach the notion that migrants should be welcome, then this, this is the sort of issue you're facing. Not quite apples to oranges there because border states get a lot of money. And that is something that um, we're, we're not seeing a ton of from the federal government. Again, puts note to the 
political pickle a bit because you have Governor Pritzker uh, and Mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, beseeching the federal government for additional funding assistance as well as for coordination, but not wanting to put the Biden administration too much on blast going into, again, an election year. Um, meanwhile, you have a whole lot of suffering, frankly, where it seems as if migrants, it's unclear whether they are being promised more than Chicago has available at this point uh, in terms of housing. There has been a clean out as we speak of those who were previously having to make their homes at police stations, but now you're seeing overcrowded shelters and fears that as it's the sneezing for respiratory illnesses, that the spread of that in places where folks are really crowded closely together but it's cold outside, and so staying there isn't an option. And we've had the the notion of building up outdoor, you know, quote unquote, soft shelters. So really, we're talking about tents, and those have been put away in sort of a very interesting face off between Pritzker and Johnson, where Pritzker put the um, kibosh on those plans due to concerns about environmental toxins at those sites. So. Um, there, there's a whole lot here, Sean, and again, I, I think none of these issues are going to be resolved. This is something that we'll presumably be talking about in the 2024 year-end wrap-up. Now, Charlie, you've talked for a while saying that, just like Amanda said, it's this is likely to continue this influx uh, and being bussed in or flown in or however they're going to do it, likely at least through the Democratic National Convention. There is that political angle to this. Yeah, and I, and I think, I'll say right off the top, I think Governor Abbott in Texas is acting in totally bad faith. He's trying to embarrass Democratic mayors of cities that have regulations similar to Chicago's welcoming ordinance. And in the most recent thing, Chicago was being besieged by buses, dropping people off at all hours of day and night all over the place. So they passed an ordinance saying, okay, here are the hours in which buses can be uh, unloaded. Here's where they, they where we will greet the people and we're going to fine you and impound you if you don't do it. So they impounded one bus. And after that, there was no more communication from Texas to say to the city, hey, we've got a couple of buses coming. And then it turns out that some of the buses were dropping people off at metro stations or Amtrak stations in Indiana or in suburbs outside Chicago and giving them money for a ticket and telling them to take the train into the city. And then to, to I guess, top it off, just the other day, uh, a plane came to O'Hare, totally unannounced. It landed at O'Hare around 7.15 on Tuesday, the plane's tail number linked it to the Texas Division of Emergency Management. Uh, it originated in El Paso, Texas. And according to the police, the plane landed without warning to Chicago officials. The airport called the police department. And by the time the police department showed up, uh, a couple of people who had been apparently the handlers for the migrants had jumped into a waiting Uber uh, and kind of did, it was their getaway car. So as I say, it's totally bad faith on the part of Abbott and it's put the city in a difficult position. 
and probably the most tragic of all was the fact that a little five-year-old boy died a week or so ago. And it was because, I believe, and others, because of the lack of adequate medical care at this huge facility in Pilsen, a former warehouse that's been converted into a, a shelter. And I think there's more than 2,300 people staying there. And the, the folks who stay there talk about how bad the conditions are. Kids are sick and crying and they're very cramped. There was one video that showed a leaky roof and water dripping down onto the cots where people are supposed to be sleeping. Uh, and the company out of, I believe it's out of Kansas that was hired to provide care for the people, won't let outsiders in. They've threatened some of the people, according to some of the folks who are staying there, they've been threatened that if they talk to the media, they'll, they'll get kicked out. And as a matter of fact, the little boy who died earlier that day, he and his parents were outside the shelter begging for money to buy food. So it's a horrible situation and it's gonna go on into the new year. And I'll go back to what I said months ago what needs to be done is the federal government has to cut the red tape and give folks work permits without any delay and without charging exorbitant fees. I mean, the employers are there wanting to hire the people. The people, the Venezuelans want to work and they have this red tape, this, this bureaucratic, what would you say, this, this bureaucratic wall preventing them from being able to do so. That's got to be taken care of. And we have to encourage folks not to be held in huge shelters that are basically a, a breeding ground for all kinds of infections. Amanda, you touched on this a few minutes ago. You mentioned uh, the, the, the governor, Governor J.B. Pritzker, and uh, also Chicago's mayor. There have been a little bit of public disagreements. I don't know if we're privy to everything that's going on between the two of them, but uh, these types of issues will often, if there are cracks in a relationship, they'll certainly expose that because these are some very difficult uh, problems to deal with. But what is going on between the two of them? Do they seem like they are working together? Do they seem like they're on the same page? It is clear that all is not copacetic. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that it is necessarily a personality difference or, you know, a long simmering hatred or anything. It is just two men with different political agendas in a difficult situation that aren't really willing to uh, give up their own aspirations for the other. Um, they have competing interests in certain ways. They have a similar alignment in terms of, of course, I think from a humanitarian perspective, nobody wants this foisted on anybody. And uh, also from just a sheer political perspective, uh, would, would love to have a better way of dealing with the really tsunami of individuals that are coming into the city and state. And as was alluded to, this is at a time where We've seen Illinois losing population where there are jobs that need to be filled. So, uh, you know, it, it could be a wonderful thing for Illinois and Chicago long term to have an influx of people. And so you have a crisis and you have two different camps that are approaching it from a different perspective and, again, have their own 
ambitions on either end of it. And so one of the examples you could say was the these soft-sided shelters that the that basically these tent camps that were supposed to be set up to get folks out of the winter weather and have some sort of temporary housing. Um, the Johnson administration had been very insistent that this was the path, these were the locations. And then you, you saw point, finger, finger pointing between the two administrations as Johnson said, hey, wait, the Pritzker folks never told us that this is what would be required. They didn't share this information with us going in. We thought all would be okay. And then the Pritzker administration, very frustrated and being very public about it and sharing that um, an environmental report on the land that these tents were supposed to be built on wasn't given to the Pritzker administration until after it had been given to reporters who, by the way, had to put in a freedom of information request to receive it. So there, um, I think, is certainly a lot to be worked out. Also this year, Charlie, I'll go to you on this. The state became the first in the country to do away with cash bail. That's got a lot of attention. Uh, it may be a little too soon to say how it's going, just a few months since it actually was has uh, started being implemented. But uh, this was a pretty big deal and something that a lot of advocates had pushed for a long time. Much of the last year, there's there was oh, predictions of all kinds of Armageddon, how the jailhouse doors would be open, criminals would be running rampant in the neighborhoods uh, because we were going to do away with cash bail. And a lot of the downstate sheriffs in particular thought this was a terrible idea. So anyway, it finally took effect on September 18th. And although the jury is still out because there's a lot of data that needs to be gathered, a report that appeared 90 days after it took effect showed that it's a fairly orderly process the naysayers have been proven wrong, according to Matthew McLaughlin, who's a campaign coordinator of the Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice. The courts have slowed the process down. The big thing here, and this is a quote from McLaughlin, the big thing here is the dramatic pronouncements made last year of chaos in our communities have turned out to be patently false. We're thrilled with the implementation of the law. And so basically what's happened, kind of the roundup is that Jail populations have shrunk and they've kind of changed in their composition. And now it's not people who are there for relatively minor offenses, but who can't make bail. Rather, it's people who are there for one or two reasons, either because they committed a crime that makes them a threat to other folks and therefore there would be a risk to be released into the community, or there's someone who is a flight risk and the prosecution can ask the judge in the case of here's Wheeler and we're afraid he's going to skip to Panama. And so the judge says, okay, detain him or here's Wheeler. And he's a, he's a, a druggie and he's going to go out and rob a store. And he's done it 20 times before judge says, okay, he's a threat, detain him, but it's not going to be here's Wheeler and he doesn't have enough money to pay his bail, so we're going to lock him up. And that's the big change. And that's what reformers had been looking for in terms of Illinois doing it. Now, as I say, it's only been like three months, and it'll take at least a year before all the data comes in. But the, the folks that have been involved from the court side and the criminal justice community seem to be um, 
what would you say they're, they're, they're pleasantly surprised maybe so i think that this is something we'll have to watch going forward but i think as i say i think it seems to be working so far yeah, and Amanda, this was something that got a lot of attention. It was delayed getting started. We we said it uh, took till the fall to actually have it finally be implemented. But uh, I'm guessing some people, opponents to it, are are still not sold yet. I, th- I think it'll be a while, if ever, whether they're sold. As Charlie noted, we're still waiting from data. We're waiting to collect the data from before this change was made so that there's really an accurate comparison. There's a lot to be said. I think that there's going to be a lot to follow up on um, in terms of what it means financially for the judicial system and whether there need to be adjustments made. Certainly that's something that the legislature is capable of doing. That That, that isn't to say that the, the changes, the system aren't working, but merely that they're are going to be, I'm not even sure if it's unforeseen consequences because there were predictions about it, but issues still on the table to be dealt with. Uh, I would not be surprised were there to be somebody who is released and it becomes sort of a headline case for the naysayers of why this was a bad move. Um, But there certainly, as Charlie, I think, alluded to, uh, has thus far been a decrease in jail populations, which is a savings uh, for taxpayers writ large, but also a, a savings for individuals who are accused and not yet guilty in terms of their ability to continue to live their lives, not be stuck in a jail cell, which can lead to its own set of consequences, be it, you know, losing work, um, time away from family, um, whatever connections can be made in jail, the list goes on. So it is a huge, huge, huge change to a degree. I will add that Cook County had already been practicing something akin to this, a different set of exact parameters, but Cash bail had largely been eliminated in the state's largest county prior to this state law. And so that is something I think to keep in mind where we've already seen a little bit of an experiment in an area where there is already the most crime just to sheer population. Let me uh, save a few minutes for another big story that took place here in 2023, and that was the assault weapons ban going into effect in Illinois. Of course, this came about after the, uh, the tragic shooting at the 4th of July parade in Highland Park a couple of years ago. Sale of weapons like uh, AR-15s prohibited along with high-capacity magazines. State Supreme Court has upheld the law, but Amanda, this real challenge on this is still to come, and it's going to go most likely to the U.S. Supreme Court. So uh, what are we expecting from that? Yeah, Sean, that's not a prediction just from you and from me. I think it's widely acknowledged that the U.S. Supreme Court could choose this as a case that would be, of course, uh, setting the standard for the nation. That's, in fact, what Governor Pritzker said that he expects. Um, So it is nonetheless already in effect as we speak, has been for really all of 2023, save for a couple of weeks before it was signed into law. And as you're approaching January 1 of 24, there is the requirement that those who already owned firearms that are listed within this law as banned for sale, they are allowed to keep them but have to register them with the state. And that is something that is the cause of great consternation to folks who are wondering what the state police are going to do with this, particularly if, in fact, the law is tossed. So um, this is another one where I'm not sure 
we yet have any data of what impact this has on crimes. You have also advocates pointed out that just Illinois is not an island. Individuals can very easily go across state lines and purchase some of the guns that are now prohibited for sale in Illinois from some of our neighboring states. But nonetheless, this is something that advocates have been working for for a very long time. There was really no true political movement to push and make it happen until that horrific tragedy in Highland Park. Yeah, and surely, uh, like Amanda said, people can go elsewhere and buy these guns. That's why there has also been a big push for a national ban, but that doesn't appear to be on the horizon anytime soon, uh, especially currently with the makeup of Congress. It's it's pretty unlikely, I would think. Yeah, and Illinois still has a wrinkle in that under the 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 assault weapon ban, folks who already owned these now prohibited weapons before the effective date of the law were required to register them by January 1st. And the percentage of people who've registered is abysmally small. I mean, there's no real count of how many folks have these, but the fact that there's only been a couple thousand who've, who've registered suggests that there's a lot of people who are waiting to see. And the rules and regulations to spell this all out, the state police is still developing them. And the legislative committee that basically reviews rulemaking to make sure it comports with what the General Assembly's idea was when it passed the law is not going to meet until the middle of January to say whether or not the rules that the state police are trying to put together, whether or not they fill the bill. So if you're someone who's had one of these automatic weapons for, I don't know, 20 years, and you're sitting there, how do I comply with the law? It's still all up in the air. And as Amanda said, the bottom line is the U.S. Supreme Court will have the final say. Uh, Pritzker and others argue, oh, we're sure this is going to be constitutional. But if I were a betting man, I would not be betting on that position. I would be with Charlie on that bet. But I would add, because we do want to talk about politics, that I, I think this is still a political win for Pritzker as he is potentially looking to or kind of obviously, not potentially, expand his national profile. <clears throat> it, this is very much a, a win for him, regardless of what happens legally. He can own this and say, look at what I accomplished in Illinois. And Amanda, also uh, a good year for the governor when it comes to, we talked about the Democratic National Convention coming back to Illinois next summer. Uh, that was, that was you got to give him credit for that. He's the one that really helped spearhead uh, bringing that and landing that convention in Chicago. So a pretty good year for the governor overall, if you look at it from his standing within his own party and uh, building up his progressive credentials like we talked about. So good year for Pritzker. I think a, a great year for Pritzker in that regard. He is supporting Biden for president, but his name is listed as a contender if something happens or for down the road, landing the DNC, having his person in place at the Democratic Party of Illinois, not being brought down by all of the corruption that nonetheless has marred some of the former top Democrats, being able to sign, as you noted, for, for kind of progressive bona fides when it comes to cash bail, the assault weapons ban. And also I will add that they're Illinois fiscally, um, not necessarily everything great and hunky-dory long-term. There's still long-term outstanding pension debt, but from a relative point of view, doing well. And Pritzker is taking credit for that. Um, 
for staying reasonable and is what how he describes it and nonetheless being able to invest in some of these projects and not to say that there there weren't battles uh there was prior to this true influx of migrants coming in there was a battle in the general assembly over how much to give toward health care for those who are illinois residents but are undocumented so pressures on the horizon as the fiscal picture seeks to change, but certainly part of that was, I, I think, fiscal management. Part of it also really sort of lucking out in terms of where the economy went and uh, help from the feds. So yes, Pritzker, I think, has, um, can pat himself on the back and look to that future ambition um, with that on his portfolio and also uh, abortion policies where he you know, will proudly proclaim Illinois is a haven in the Midwest. And that builds up his uh, portfolio, his resume there, too. All right. Well, we're going to go to our notes from the field. Charlie, I'll go to you first this time. Well, since this is a year end, how about if we take a look ahead? And one of the things that obviously is going to be well, probably if you look at it, the only thing that the General Assembly really has to do in in spring of 24 is to approve a new budget for fiscal year 2025, which begins on July 1st. And the governor had a, his, his Office of Management and Budget came out, oh, a few weeks ago with projections showing that in the current fiscal year, uh, come June 30th, we're expected to end with a $1.4 billion surplus in our general funds. On the other hand, FY25 is projected to face an $891 million deficit. And the governor says, and this is a quote, so that five-year forecast, you know, we look at it as a guide for how careful do we need to be as we move forward in the budget year, thinking about FY25. I think it's a signal that everybody, we need to be careful in Illinois we have to balance our budget. And so if that requires us to reduce the increases that may occur in certain programs, maybe that will be necessary. But as a, a cautionary note, uh, the actual revenue performances routinely exceed the out-year estimates during th this time. The, the budget office puts out a five-year estimate and the further out, the less accurate they've been over time because the people who do the forecasting are basically, they're, they're pretty conservative because they don't want to come up with something too rosy so that the General Assembly says, oh man, we got free reign. We can do this, that, and the other thing. So Prisker is playing it close to the vest, I think wisely. But as I say, that is the big issue and the only issue that really needs to be done with All or right. dealt with. All right. And Amanda, let's get your look ahead. Let's go with uh, what's going to happen with former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan. Uh, we've talked about the DNC. That will certainly be a big thing in 2024. What is happening nationally as um, we look to find out who will be the next president and sort of what that means for democracy, that there, there's so much going forward. Kennedy Construction in Chicago is going to come back with a vengeance, and I'm already not looking forward to it as it's on a winter hold, but 2024, I know we'll bring more of that. But for Illinois political watchers, I think really um, the the Madigan reign was so significant. We didn't really touch too much on what happened this year in terms of the trial of the quote unquote ComEd 4. But now the, the man who was not 
on the stand, but was at really the heart of it. And that, of course, is Madigan is at least as of now set to go and be on trial in April. We'll we'll see what that changes because he's looking for it to be pushed back, heck, presumably even dismissed, depending on what happens with the U.S. Supreme Court case and how it deals with a uh, corruption matter with former mayor of Portage, Indiana. But I will certainly be watching to see what happens. All right, well, we'll all be watching that as we look forward to the year ahead. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Thanks for being with us here on State Week. Our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Chicago Tonight's Amanda Vinicky. You can find our show where you get your podcasts through the NPR app and at nprillinois.org. Just look for State Week and join us in the new year. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.